We are so glad that you joined us online for our Easter teaching. Today, we are gonna see that the resurrection was not a moment in history. Rather, it is the moment in history. I love the way that Russell Moore summarized Easter morning. He said, the corpse of Jesus just lay there in the silence of the tomb. By all appearances, it had been tested and tried and found wanting. He goes on to say, if you had been there to pull open his bruised eyelids, matted together with blood, you would have looked into blank holes. If you had lifted his arm, you would have felt no resistance. You would have heard only the thud as it hit the table when you let it go. You might have run away from that morbid scene, muttering to yourself, the wages of sin is death. But... Sometime before dawn, on Sunday morning, a spike-torn hand twitched. A blood-crusted eyelid opened, and the breath of God came blowing down into that cave, and a resurrected Jesus flashed into reality. He has risen from the grave, and the resurrection of Jesus began a revolution that changed history. Today, as you continue to stay with us, as we walk through this teaching of the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, may we continue to each say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me as we continue? God, thank you for the opportunity we have today to be reminded of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. The evidence is convincing The eyewitness accounts are beautiful to us today that we will see. God, help us to see that it is a revolution, but it is also a relationship that is eternal, that is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for those that are joining us online that have yet to step into the room with us, and this is their weekly time together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to believe that we have spent 13 weeks in the book of John. Now I have a quick announcement. I have said all along that we would finish the book of John on Easter, but we will in all actuality complete our study next Sunday because we want to take time to explore John chapter 21 next week and see Jesus extend grace to one of his disciples in a beautiful moment that can challenge us to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Yet here we are, having walked through so many moments with our eyewitness reporter, John. May his words guide us to the moment that connected all the dots and brought meaning to some of the mystical conversations with Jesus between him and his disciples and brought hope and life conquering sin and death for all eternity. Today, we're going to read about the resurrection. We're going to see the evidence to believe in the resurrection and then allow the resurrection to shine a light on the first 19 chapters of John. Scripture tells us in John chapter 20, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran 
and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, whom had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet, they had not understood the scripture that he must first rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now I want to stop here and unpack these moments so that we can see the evidence for a resurrected Jesus. We can quickly identify four pieces of evidence for a resurrected Jesus. The first piece of evidence, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. The video we started with shows what is believed to be a typical garden tomb in the time period in which this moment took place. The stone in front of the tomb, based on other burial tombs located later, could have been four and a half feet in diameter, a disc-shaped stone weighing between one to two tons. Now you can read the other gospel accounts of the tomb and gain information that Pilate had placed a guard of soldiers, two to four soldiers to protect the tomb. And in the book of Matthew, the guards after the resurrection, went to the chief priest to tell them that what had occurred. And the chief priest, instead of letting the real story circulate, they paid them to change their story to say that the disciples stole the body. The story they were told to tell others is that followers of Jesus came and moved the stone. There's a problem with that. At some point, don't you think armed guards would have overpowered assembled disciples? The other difficulty with their conjured up story is that someone from the guard at some point would have told someone the truth or the disciples would have given up the truth before giving their lives for a lie. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. This is a great piece of evidence to begin with, but there's more. The second piece of evidence found in this passage is this. The grave clothes are still in the tomb. When Peter and John stepped into the grave, they saw the grave clothes lying there. And it says the headpiece was folded and put in place. If someone had stolen the body of Jesus, do you think they would have taken time to stop and carefully unwrap the body and a tightly woven garments. You see, this, this is not a haphazard wrapping that would have taken place. It's a process that the body would have gone through prior to it being placed in the tomb. And now they're not only removed, but they're neatly folded in place. Imagine this sight. You see, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave earlier in the book of John, he's still wrapped in his garments. But the linen cloths for Jesus unraveled, folded, put into place. 
as if to say, this part of the story, it's done. Now, a side note here, the word in that passage that says they saw, he saw in verse five is the word from which we have our word theater. Now, I know it's been quite a while since some of you have been to a theater due to our circumstances of the past year, but when you pay money to watch or see something in a theater, your eyes are focused ahead on the screen. And when someone gets up and they walk in front of you, you're slightly annoyed. You pay to watch the story unfold carefully on the screen in front of you. This is the attitude of John. He saw, he observed closely, he looked into the tomb, he took it all in. The late, later on, he penned these details for us to read. A first-hand eyewitness accounts? convincing evidence, but the most compelling evidence of a resurrected Jesus is the physical appearance to individuals and to a group of people. After all, eyewitnesses, especially a multitude, make a story hard to deny. The third piece of evidence, he appeared to multiple people at various locations and times. This is told to us in verses 11 through 29. He comes to Mary the disciples, Thomas, again to the disciples. One of the most convincing elements of John's eyewitness accounts are the moments that are personal with Jesus. Mary, well, he called her by name when she thought he was a gardener. The disciples, Scripture tells us they're locked inside a home for fear. Jesus steps into the room without opening the door and announces the most normal calm introduction of the day. He says, peace be with you. Thomas, well, he missed the reveal party in verses 19 through 23. And so he wanted his own moment. He wanted evidence and he got it when he was told by Jesus to see and to touch where his hands had been wounded. Then in John chapter 21, which we will go into next Sunday, Jesus has a few close encounters with a handful of disciples. Then in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter, the denying disciple, you want evidence? He appeared to them, but their reaction really tells the story. The fourth piece of evidence needed for this revolution are radical disciples. For the immediate years to follow the resurrection of Jesus, something radical happened to them that calls them to live radically changed and purposed lives. They preached Jesus in their own communities. They preached Jesus in the midst of criticism and doubt. They acted on the teachings of Jesus and they began to care for people who had in that society no value for centuries to come. It was Jesus and his followers who gave voices and care to women, children, and those that are oppressed. These followers, these radical disciples, they preached Jesus in the face of oppositions. They saw miracles through the Holy Spirit take place in front of them. They were martyred for preaching Jesus when told to be silent. They had seen evidence, linen cloths folded. They had seen evidence, the hands and the feet of Jesus. They had witnessed 
the teaching before and after the resurrection. And they never stopped until each of their deaths came by persecution. If you come today and you're doubting this entire story of Jesus and the resurrection, may I pose an an age-old question to you? Who would be willing to die for something that you know without a doubt to be a lie, a cover-up? At some point, you're going to give up. At some point, these disciples are going to surrender. None of them are going to die and hinge their lives on something that they know is a fairy tale. Yet these people, they're eyewitnesses. They could never unsee a resurrected Jesus. The evidence is stacked in favor of the resurrection of Jesus. The moment that changed history, it changed culture, and thankfully, as we'll see later on, it changed eternity for those who believe. In Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, one scholar, B.F. Westcott, said, taking all the evidence together, it's not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus. You may wonder if the evidence is so convincing, why don't more people believe in it? The answer is this. People refuse to believe in Jesus' resurrection because it has personal implications that they don't want to face. Because if Jesus is risen, then he is the rightful Lord of all. And I, I must turn from my sin and live under his leadership. Because people don't want to do that. They refuse to believe in Jesus in spite of the evidence. But the early followers of Jesus, they could not reject the evidence. They could not turn their backs on these moments. They could never unsee a resurrected Jesus. In all honesty, if the book of John would have ended in chapter 19 with the body of Jesus in a tomb, then today we're not even having this gathering You would not be watching online a teaching from a church because the church would have never come into existence. We would not be reading the book of John for 13, 14 weeks because the resurrection, chapter 20, brought meaning and clarity and direction for all of John's writing. The resurrection is what began the revolution. Now, I know the word revolution is a strong word. Our American history is full of revolutionary moments that have changed the direction of our country. But this revolution, this turn of history, this rising of radical disciples, all hinged on one moment, the resurrection. Because up until that moment, the movement of Jesus was a a movement. It was a collection of radical miracles, confrontational teachings, But following the resurrection, it became a revolution that has not and will never be silenced. So today I want to revisit a couple of moments from our study of John that were powerful moments, yet they were not completely understood because the resurrection had not yet occurred. So stick with me. 
We've been on a journey together. Let's finish strong. In chapter two, if you were to to rewind, Jesus announces to his disciples and his doubters that the temple would be destroyed in three days, it would be rebuilt. Those listening were imagining Jesus referencing the, the physical temple that took 46 years to build in Jerusalem. But he, he claimed that he could rebuild this temple in three days. The listeners were baffled at this statement. But what Jesus was conveying was that he was the temple and he would be destroyed and he would come to life on the third day. In fact, in John chapter two, verse 22, it says this. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When did this teaching make sense to them from 16, 17 chapters before, following the resurrection, the light bulb flipped on. In John chapter six, when Jesus is teaching the the growing crowds that they must eat his body and drink his blood, a reference that was not cannibalistic, but very confusing. Even his disciples were talking about how hard this teaching was going to be to believe. What was this talk from Jesus about his body being torn, his blood being poured out? And how would he be raised? Raised from what? When did those teachings really gain revolutionary traction? I'll tell you. When Jesus walks through the wall in John chapter 22, John chapter 20 and declares, peace be with you. It all comes together and those hard teachings make sense when Thomas surveys the body of Jesus standing before him, resurrected, yet still carrying the scars on his hands, his feet, and his side. That is a moment you can never forget. That moment launches you into a life of dedication to the teaching and proclaiming of a teacher, a Messiah, who not only performed miracles in the streets, but took death to the grave and delivered life. The resurrection began the revolution. And the resurrection brought new life to all the teaching of Jesus. All the teachings that the disciples had heard, Jesus, when he proclaimed in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse seven and nine, I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, the life. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. Remain in me and I am you. Those are profound teachings. They were profound when Jesus said them. But when the resurrection, it gave those moments, those statements, validity and power He is the light who overcame darkness. When the sun came up from the darkness on the third day, he was the light, he was alive. He was the shepherd who would use his voice that would call out the name of Mary. Everything in John chapter one through 19 began to connect in the lives and the hearts of the disciples and they believed following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
they would think back. What a, what a life. They would think back on every moment. And they, I believe they would sit around and have conversations. You remember, you remember, now it all begins to make sense. The foot washing of Jesus to his disciples in John 13. Powerful then, but slightly misunderstood. The constant statements Jesus made about being raised on the third day now came to life. In John 16, verses 29 through 33, when Jesus claims to his disciples, I have overcome the world, sounded promising in the middle of the miracles, but not so much when he's on a cross. Not while he's in a tomb, but a resurrected Savior did in fact overcome the world. Even in the resurrection story, we're given evidence that the disciples had struggled with believing. Prior to the resurrection, when John sees the empty tomb and the grave close, Scripture says this, verse 8 and 9. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Listen, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Grab a hold of that line with me. The disciples had seen miracle moments. They had experienced radical teaching. They had witnessed the boldness of Jesus in the face of adversity. The disciples had seen a conquering Messiah call a dead man out of the grave, raising Lazarus. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen it all, every single part. Yet, had this story of John 1 through 19 ended with a tomb story, it might have been a movement, but it would have never been a revolution. What led them to believe? Let me reiterate verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. When they saw the empty tomb, John believed. When Mary heard her name, she believed. When Jesus walked into a locked room, they believed. The resurrection began the revolution. It changed everything for the disciples. Again, it connected all the dots, all the promises, all the statements, even some that seemed cryptic at the time to them became clear through the message and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. If you've ever watched a spy movie, uh, for me, I'll reference National Treasure or Mission Impossible. I know that dates me, but I'm good with that. At some point in the movie, the, the characters, they're searching for a clue or a, a missing piece of a puzzle, a, a lost artifact. And when they find it, it's going to unlock the mystery of all that they're trying to solve. For me at age 49, the mystery of reading is What's on a piece of paper at times requires these great things, readers. It's amazing. I can sit at my kitchen table and take my journal and push it away and bring it back and push it away and get it to the right moment. But the moment that I put these readers on, the world comes into focus, but only the foot in front of me. 
the resurrection was revolutionary because when you go back and you read the book of John, when you know the ending, it makes more sense. The teachings are clearer. The statements are more powerful. It unlocks the mysteries. The resurrection began the revolution. Revolution is a radical word. But you see, Jesus did not simply start a movement that comes and goes over time. His resurrection began a revolution that changed history. And if you think that's too strong of a word, then take some time and read the book of Acts. Specifically, verse, chapter 17, verse 6, when Jesus' followers are defined as, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Sounds like a revolution to me. And you know what event gave him the conviction to do so? It wasn't. It wasn't the moment that Jesus turned water to wine. It wasn't when Jesus spat into the mud and restored the sight of the blind man. It was not even when Jesus cast out the demons from an oppressed man. No, it was the resurrection. It began a revolution that changed history, but it also changed something more personal for you and for me. The resurrection of Jesus has changed my eternity. Would you repeat that with me, even in your home as you're watching? The resurrection of Jesus has changed my eternity. The resurrection changed everything because the promise of God, His redeeming plan came true. And all the details, down to the way Jesus died, to the place of his burial, to the fact that none of his bones were broken during crucifixion, the location of his birth, the places of his miracles, everything came into place. And the resurrection changed everything because it calls us to believe in something greater. Something greater than our broken, sinful, searching selves. If I can be very transparent with you, preaching at Easter is, it's difficult for me, maybe for other pastors as well, but it's difficult. The reason is, is that I place an enormous pressure upon myself to communicate just the right words. I want you all to get it. I want you to respond to the truth that is the good news of Jesus. So every Easter, I have this deep desire to come up with the most creative way to convince you to make a decision based maybe on the emotion of the day. But late Wednesday night, I, I gave up my desires and my pride and my personal goals for the day. And I just simply come to tell you this. The resurrection of Jesus has changed my eternity. And the resurrection of Jesus can change yours. Today, I come to celebrate that Jesus is alive. I come to tell you that your life on this, in this physical body will end one day. But because Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, you can have life in and through the name of Jesus this teaching from Jesus is front and center in the moment Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Today, I want you to understand that following Jesus can be difficult, costly. Today, I want you to know that God loves you. Also in the book of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In the book of 2 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, a little bit later in our history that we're in, Paul says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who raised for their sake, died and was raised. Today, I want you to know that without the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that this broken, sinful world would be our home and then the end. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to evaluate the evidence see the power of the resurrection and trust him with your life. You see, the resurrection of Jesus began a revolution that would change the world, but it also began a relationship for you and for me to enter into for all eternity. Today, I want you to grasp the fact that God desires for you to have life in the name of the one who was raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. Today, I wanna ask you to pause, to stop your wrestling with things that, that you think, well, I've gotta see this in order to trust. And today, I would ask you to trust countless witnesses, their stories, their radically committed lives. Today, I hope you will believe and come to life in Jesus. Because after all, that is why John wrote this letter. John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you believe? Would you pray with me? God, as I think about those who are watching, I know there are those that are faithful followers of you who are at home, who are not quite ready to step into a room and Easter is very special for them. It is a reminder of life and eternity. God, I also know there are those that are doubtful of what I've been proclaiming. And I would challenge them, God, to look, to read, to watch, to see. A personal Jesus 
who, yes, his resurrection began a revolution, but he also made a way for them to have a relationship with them for all eternity. So God, I come. There may be those who today are ready to trust you. And today they may, they may be thinking, they may be praying, how do I begin this relationship? It may say, sound something like this. Dear Jesus, I want to enjoy the full benefits of your death and your resurrection for me. Thank you for what you did. I accept the proof, the evidence that you have been raised from the dead, that you are, in fact, a living God. And I accept the promise of forgiveness and eternal life because you are the only one who could pay for my sins. You deserve to be Lord of my life. I need your power. The power of the resurrection in my life on a daily basis. I want to get to know you and learn how to rely on your power so I can live a better life. The life that you meant for me to live. Please come into my life and change me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Maybe during that time you prayed and cried out to God and said, I, I want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I want an eternal home through Jesus Christ who died as a payment for my sins. You may have prayed something similar to what I prayed. You may have been in a completely different direction, but submitting yourself to God. Whatever the case is, we'd love to know about it. We'd love to follow up with you. So if you would just simply go to our website at richfork.com and click the first time guest link and share with us a little bit of your information. We won't drive you crazy, but we will reach out to you and ask, how can we come alongside you in this new life with Jesus? The other opportunity I want to invite you to, you, you again, again, you may have been someone who has yet to step back into the room or you have and you're back home for whatever reason and you're new with us. I wanna invite you to something that we used to do in our home, but due to circumstances, we're gonna do this here at our church property. It's called a next step dinner. No strings attached. It's just a way for you to get to know us a little bit better. So we wanna offer that on Sunday afternoon, April 18th at 4 p.m. Over the past few months, we've realized something as church leaders, we have a lot of new faces since the fall of 2020 that are attending Rich Fork and we wanna be able to get to know you better and you do the same over the next few months. We also wanna do our part to guide you spiritually to become a disciple for Jesus. We also know that many of you have desired to join Rich Fork or ask some questions about becoming a member and begin to serve in some capacity. So just this week, we began to put together some details for something we wanna offer you in two weeks, Sunday, April 18th. That dinner is gonna begin at four o'clock. I know nobody really eats but at four o'clock, but we're gonna do it then anyway, from four o'clock to 5.15. Again, years past, we've hosted this in our home with 10 or 12, but this time we wanna open up to more of you, which means we'll host this 
on our campus. Who's invited? You are. If you're new to Rich Fork, maybe you have some questions and you just want to get to know us a little bit better. Some of our staff will be around to get to know you, to connect with you, to talk with you through what's next, next and become an active part of Rich Fork and to become a part of shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you're interested and you want to sign up, that sign up is online or you can call the church office. If you go to richfork.com, look under events. It'll be titled Next Step Dinner. We can't wait to spend time with you in person, in a smaller environment, and get to know you a little better. Thank you so much for joining us today, online, this Easter, this weekend, to explore the evidence of the resurrection, the revolution, but also the relationship that changes our eternity. We look forward to next Sunday because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection because everything changed. I hope it's changed your heart, your soul, your mind through Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us.